For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. After inspiring us to grow in Christian maturity by observing the lives of Old Testament heroes, the writer to the Hebrews now gives us some ways to strengthen our faith. It's called Living Holy Lives, which turns out to be a lot more practical than most people think. So let's join Pastor Ross now in a message entitled, Everyday Holiness. Well, maybe you saw the news clip of a very painful-looking Injury. I have it for you. Cincinnati Reds rookie pitcher John Moscott was uh, tagging some guy out there. Uh, the good news is that he got his man. Uh, it wasn't out. But the bad news was that <laughs> he dislocated his shoulder and he won't be playing in the next games to come because he is going to be sidelined with a very serious Uh, shoulder injury. You know, that's no fun to be sidelined. You know, you're out of the action. You can't help the team. You probably feel useless. You're just sitting there wishing you could be uh, a part of things as you once were, but you can't because you're you're injured. You're you're out of the game. And so uh, the pastor, thank you for that picture, the pastor writing to his dear Hebrew Christian friends who are emotionally and spiritually fatigued. He's using metaphors uh, from the world of sports. And he's using the analogy of athletes who are running kind of a marathon type race to describe the Christian life. And he's just exhorted them to get in better shape, spiritually speaking. And, and so that they would avoid an injury, spiritually speaking now, that would kind of permanently disable them. And, and you'll remember the verse. It was our closing verse last week. It's going to be our opening verse uh, this week. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees are athletic terms in the Greek there. And he says, make level paths for your feet. So, so clear the way. Get going forward. Get back going again so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. The word disabled there in the Greek literally is to put out of joint or to dislocate. And so what he's saying here, as, as he's been inspiring us with all these lives from chapter 11, it's time for some practical exhortations, how we should be living the Christian life to get better conditioned. Because if you're better conditioned, the risk of injury is less, right? Uh, So it's time to get in shape, uh, to strengthen ourselves in the faith. And so he says, smooth out the path. Watch where you're stepping uh, because you're already faltering. You're already weak. They already were. were. They were not handling their troubles wisely as Christians ought to. And he says, so be careful in your going forward. You could kind of acquire a more serious injury, a sprain, uh, a broken bone, uh, or a dislocation, and find yourself permanently disabled. And there are, there are going to be Christians like that who are, have to be benched because of a self-inflicted injury, 
that came as a result of being careless or, or whatever. They're still going to heaven. It's just that they're not able to play in, in the game because of the, the wound that didn't get properly attended to and, and such. And these are the things that we're talking about this morning. But he has uh, something better in mind for them. He talks about, but rather healed. So he's going to say, here are some things you can do kind of spiritually to strengthen your weak Christian life. So if you find yourself kind of feeling compromised and kind of uh, weak in faith, he says, there are some exercises, pastoral exhortations, that if you do them, you will end up strengthening uh, your relationship with God. And uh, there are three things he's going to ask them to do in the verse, our text. Let me read the three things he's going to say. He's, he's saying, if you, number one, get, get your relationships in shape. Number two, get your attitudes in line. And number three, uh, get your uh, sensual appetites under control. He's going to talk about a spiritual rehab conditioning, if you will. Verse 14. So make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See to it, see that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance, right, says the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. So those three spiritual exercises can be found in this paragraph, and this paragraph will be our text for this morning's reflection. Now, you know, I, I like here, listed within the three specific exhortations, is a call to holiness, which I think under, helps us to understand what the term means. Because if you ask the average person, what does holy mean? What does it mean to, to be holy, that God is holy? It's kind of a, kind of a hard term to define. But uh, I think in the context of practical ways we live for God, uh, we can see what holiness means. So first of all, when you talk about, let's talk about holiness and then to the three exercises, right? So first of all, he says, make every effort to be holy because as you know, without holiness, no one's going to wind up in heaven. So it ought to be something you're thinking about. Number one, good theology. We aren't holy so that we can get into heaven. We're holy as a result of having been given heaven and salvation through faith in Christ alone. How do you get saved? Well, it's not by being good enough or Christ wouldn't have to die for us. So it's trusting in Christ alone that saves you. So there are two ways to think about uh, holiness and two verses that really show you uh, what exactly the dynamic is about. Let me show you the two verses. So we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. The theologians call that positional sanctification. So that means that what Jesus did for us saves us. And now we, we, in that regard, you can never be more holy because by his blood, 
He, he's made you holy. All right? We got that. Then, four verses later, he says, by that one sacrifice that made you holy and made you perfect forever, those who are being made holy. Okay, so now we get it. So what God gave us freely that qualifies us uh, for heaven needs to be now walked out and grown in our daily life until it inhabits every arena. Uh, the word holy consecrated is related to the word holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy. That's what consecrated means. It means that your mind and your thoughts and the way you act on Sunday and Monday, on vacation or at home, wherever you are in whatever situation, whatever you're doing, whatever thing we're talking about, you are morally consistent. You are the same. Of course, you don't act the same way you do at, at, at work as you do on vacation. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the honesty and how you treat people is the same. Your integrity. In fact, the word integrity is a great way to think of holiness. Integrity comes from a Latin word, integer, whole. Number, whole. Integrity, when you say somebody's got integrity, it means he's always the same. He's just a good guy, whether he's in a jam, whether anybody's looking or not. Somebody said that integrity can be defined as what you are when nobody's looking, right? And so this holiness just means, it actually means a separation to God from sin. So God is holy in that he's completely different and separated from darkness and corruption and sin. He's completely other, that's what holy means. So when he calls us to be holy, the Holy Spirit has been given us at new birth. He's asking us to cooperate in such a way that some of that holy of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, it kind of overflows and kind of grows. Great parable, Matthew 13, Jesus speaking. He says, think of the kingdom of heaven like this. Think of a gal in the kitchen baking. And he says, she just takes a little bit of yeast, puts it in, and that yeast works its way through the whole lump of dough. That's it, period. And he moves on. It's a great lesson. He's saying when Christ comes into a person's life, it's like a little pinch of yeast. At first, you don't even know it's in there. But by nature and by the cooperation of your own will and God's spirit, that begins to grow and grow until it gets all the way through to heart, mind, soul, and spirit till it works its way through the entire batch. That's the idea of holiness. And it's great to, you can go back to the, the text. It's great to see the example of what it means to pursue, to be a holy person is to the three things, to manage your relationships. It's in how you treat other people, managing your attitude, your inner life, to keep yourself from bitterness and things ugly like that on the inside and managing your own sensual passions, Right? So it's the yeast working its way out in how you live your daily life every day. That's holiness. So the first thing he says in the text is make every effort to get along with people. Be nice. Be a nice person. <laughs> it doesn't sound like rocket science, but it can be. You've heard that poem. 
to dwell above with saints we love, oh, the joy and glory, but to dwell below with saints we know, well, that's another story. <laughs> Why? You know, he says, make it your ambition to be at peace with everybody. Well, that's a big word, to be peace with all. Well, we already know there are certain people that we need to uh, kind of avoid. Quite frankly, on Titus chapter 3, verse 10, Proverbs uh, chapter 20, verse 19, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. But even in those regards, we do it politely and cordially with love, wisdom, and tact. But generally, 90% of the time, he's just calling, can you be a person who gets along with just about anybody, no matter who they are? And why is this such a tall order? Well, because some people out there are difficult. Nobody in this church. I've, I've been to other churches, all right? Some people out there can be demanding, rude, self-centered, insensitive, irresponsible, just plain mean, annoying, but that doesn't change the command. You, you can't justify bad behavior by saying that bad behavior happened to you. God says, listen, I want more than that. I'm impressed, he said, not with people who love those who love them. He said, whoa, what's praiseworthy of that, Matthew chapter 5? What's praiseworthy of that? They're nice to you, you're nice to them. <laughs> even, even sinners do that. He said, where, where I start to notice what I think is praiseworthy is when somebody is irritating, annoying, and obnoxious, rude and ungrateful, and you're kind. You're diplomatic. You rise above it. You disarm it. You diffuse the whole thing. That's what I like, he says, because the Heavenly Father is kind to the ungrateful. And if you want to, I'm quoting Matthew 5, if you want to be a son or a daughter of the Most High God, who by nature is kind to the ungrateful, then you ought to be kind to ungrateful, annoying, obnoxious people. You can't just, just, just say, oh, well, they did this, and so that justifies this. No, because that's not holiness. Unholy people are rude. Holy people are easy to get along with, no matter who that person is. Well, that's a tall order. Some might say, it's impossible, you know, <laughs> right? Uh, but um, you, you figured it out. You're bilingual. Well, look at your verse. What does it say? It says, uh, this is what grace enables us to do. It says, see to it that. That is a very rare phrase where it says, see to it that. He, he's saying, supervise yourself. That's the word. Oh, not like, uh, oh, there I am, outside. Oh, huh, look at me, adorable me. You know, you know no, no, we need a, a non-biased supervisor with a cold eye. Supervise yourself in this regard. Start to be intentional about how you're treating people and are you easy to get along with? Uh, he says, see to it that you don't miss the grace of God because that's, what's going to enable you to motivate you and to provide that which isn't yours. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit to be self-controlled 
and to show brotherly kindness in those kinds of situations. So it's the grace of God. And when he says, don't miss the grace of God, he's saying, well, don't come up short. Don't receive God's grace in vain. In other words, if that person in front of you has, has stumbled you into being petty or holding grudges or talking negatively or you're at odds with them or, or you're impatient or unkind or rude, uh, you've missed the grace of God. And let, let me just tell you something you already know. It wasn't a failure on the part of the grace of God. It was a failure for you and me to appropriate the grace of God that was fully funded, fully funded in the account, ready for withdrawal, but we chose not to access those funds. They're there. Oh, the grace has been loaded. Oh, no. Let, let me assure you, if the same God that spoke the heavens and the earth into existence out of nothing by speaking lives in your heart. The same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And my friend, you, you're loaded with the grace. You've got enough grace to be able to overcome whatever that thing is. It's just you don't want to overcome it. You don't want to access. You don't want to write the check. That's not God's fault. It's a failure on your part to say, you know, I know I got the funds, but it's not a purchase I want to make at this time. <laughs> Why? Why? Because your feelings are your Lord. Your feelings are telling you you can, but you don't have to because that guy's a, right? No, that's unholy. He's saying make every effort. Don't miss the grace of God. You know, some vehicles have dual gas tanks. I think that's cool. Yet, you know, you run out of one and then you get to flip a button. I like flipping buttons. You know, I'm a guy, you know, and then you flip the button and, and, the, and the flow starts with the second tank. So many times Christians are equipped with two tanks. Uh, we run out, we come to the edge and you're like, flip the switch, man. You've got a whole nother tank. It's called the Holy Spirit. He's like, I got this. I can deal with this. I'm smarter than them. I can, I, I can give you the grace. I got the love. I got the power. I've got the ingenuity. I see what's going on here. Just flip the switch and let me fuel you. Oh, failure to do so. Someone, famous singer, songwriter, crashed and died in the crash because they couldn't access the second tank. John Denver, the cause of the crash was that they had designed the flip, the little switch, behind his shoulder. And he explained to the guy once before, the place they put it's really hard to get to. And that's on record. So it went, he ran out of gas. Get that. That's what happens when you don't get to the button in time. You'll crash. And it all depends on the situation. It can be uh, something you get pulled out of, <laughs> something you walk away with without a scratch, thank God and his grace, or something <laughs> worse, right? Get to the tank. Decrease, let him increase. The Holy Spirit, walk by the Spirit, let, let, let him 
do the work. You know, it's like somebody's ringing your doorbell. You say, hey, I'm not going to get it. Father God, would you get this one? And he goes to the door, take care of business. But what does that mean? It means you have to die. You have to die on the cross and let Jesus do the work, right? And so that's how you're able to do things that he wants you to do. Grace to overlook an offense. Oh, how hard that is. He says, in most of your offenses, they're, they're, they're petty enough for you to overlook it. A holy person will overlook an offense, Proverbs 19.11. Grace to stop bringing up a matter that's been resolved. Stop bringing it up, Proverbs says, or you're going to separate close friends. Grace will allow you to do that. Grace to assume the best and give the benefit of the doubt. Grace to act like you didn't hear someone say something unkind about you since you know that you've done the same thing many times. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 21. He says, don't hold everybody accountable to every last word they say about you that you caught on to because you know you've done the same exact thing. Cut them some slack as you want people to cut you slack for. But that's second tank. That's not first tank material. That's second tank. And sometimes, oh, I can't reach it. You know, it's hard, but uh, God says we're able to. We have the grace to do it. And where do we get the grace? He says, listen, Colossians, be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ has forgiven you. You want to know the grace, the motivation to forgive other people and to act above it all. This is that God has put up with you. And all of your issues and all the ways that you, you don't appreciate him and act rudely to him or give him the cold shoulder, he still loves you. He still deals with you. And from the grace that you've received from God, you should be motivated to extend the same kind of grace. All right, number two. So he says, make every effort to live at peace with everyone. Now about that bitter root that springs up to cause trouble and defile many. Wow, bitter root inside your heart that grows up, you can't keep it in there, to cause trouble and defile poison or soil. Many. Let's talk about that. So the problem here is not just the misery for the bitter person. They are miserable because they're negative and overcome with bitterness and they're just stuck in it. You know, that's not a happy place to be. But the problem from God's point of view is if you want to mess up your own life and be miserable, that's your business. But unfortunately, with bitterness and negativity, uh, you're accountable to God because from the abundance of your negative, bitter heart, the lips flow and you spew that poison onto people. It causes trouble. Perfectly good workplace ruined by one bitter person. Perfectly loving church couple bitter people. Wow. A perfectly good Thanksgiving meal with family. You bring that one bitter person in and they're just that negative spin to the whole thing and many are defiled. You know, now listen, what's going on with the Hebrews here? Well, the Hebrew Christians, they've experienced some significant loss. So he understood, that's why he's saying, listen, people have thrown people into prison. Your friends are suffering. You're suffering. They've taken some of your stuff. They're mocking you as Christians. 
Don't get bitter. Watch out, because when you get mad and you don't resolve that, you don't listen, you don't do the work that God has provided you through giving you the Holy Spirit and tools. If you don't deal with all of that, that hate and resentment is going to just fester into dark, poisonous, toxic nastiness. And you, it'll only be a matter of time before that grows up and out, and now you've stumbled people. You don't want to do that. Now, now, in other cases, you know, even though we, our hearts go out to people with significant loss who are bitter, we understand. When you tell us what happened to you, I could see how you would want to be bitter, right? But you need to get over that. And God gives you the tools. Jesus will provide the grace for you. So we don't make light of that. Bitterness happens, right? But then there's the bitterness of just petty, immature Christians and people who don't handle their own emotions right. Uh, Go, you are called to take every thought captive. Every thought. So that when you get a heads up, hey, look at this, nasty, mean-spirited, condescending, I'm better, and all of that stuff, you are by the Holy Spirit's power to take that thing, lasso it down, and pull it down and make it submit to the word of God. And the presence of the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to do that. You have an obligation not just to let everything go inside, to be driven by all of those thoughts. He says, put on the helmet of salvation, man. Do the work in there. Whatever things are good and right and true and worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. You can just let anything go in there and dwell on all of this, dwell on it, dwell on it, until the cesspool is just growing with negativity, and it's only a matter of time before the baby spits up some of that. (laughs) It's nasty. I had three kids. They spit up, it's sour and woo, you know? It's terrible. That's what he's talking about. Take responsibility. What does Proverbs say? Check this out. Above all else, guard your heart. Because from that well within, your entire life flows. So if you've got love and mercy and forgiveness and goodness and your gratitude and all of this in there, that's going to be the sweet life flowing. But if you're in there with pride and self-centeredness and self-pity and envy and jealousy and I don't know, you know, you know, sorry, did I do that good? (laughs) It comes quite natural. (laughs) I wasn't trying as hard as you may think there then what's going to happen? Out comes nasty. From nasty comes nasty. And he says, that's not holy. Stop it. There's no excuses for that. The Holy Spirit is in you. He can sweeten that thing. So holy people strive to get along with everyone. The grace they've received is the grace they extend. Holy people manage their private thoughts and emotions by the grace of God. They keep things right inside. 
A moral obligation. Why? Because there's power of life and death in the tongue, Proverbs says. You may not have used a club with your hand, but have you clubbed here with your cynicism and your sarcasm and your negative fault finding? It's not holy. The grace of God, don't miss the grace of God. The grace of God can deal with this and change you. And then thirdly, he says, holy people manage their sensual passions, that carnal side of life, of our heart, I should say, uh, well under the grace of God, unlike Esau. Now, Esau, this is a poor guy. He's the second time in the book he's mentioned as a poster child for, for what not to do, right? So Esau, again, Isaac and Rebekah's uh, son who missed the grace of God, verses 16 and 17. Well, let me remind you, Esau is the hairy hunter, remember? It, he is the guy, well, it said that in the Bible. Um, he's the firstborn of the twins uh, born to Isaac and uh, Rebekah, uh, it was Esau and his brother Jacob. And the whole story really is about the dramatic way that the birthright that should have gone to the firstborn uh, goes to the secondborn because the firstborn despised it. So it had to be switched. He, he gave it up. He despised it. And really, it starts really very fascinating with a New Testament application. Did you know this? Did you know when his mama was pregnant with those boys, she went to the Lord and she said, what is going on inside of me? Genesis 25. And the Lord answered her and said, you've got two nations, two different people who are going to be separated. They can't dwell together, right? And that's what's going on. They're at war inside of you. That's what's going on, Rebecca. Do you know that that is used in Galatians 5 as a picture of the, the unregenerated part of us called the sinful nature, or sometimes it's called the flesh, just the animal part, right? The, un, the part that doesn't know the Lord, right? And the spirit that is regenerated when the Holy Spirit comes in, right? So when that happens to a Christian, they're conflicted. You know, I remember becoming a Christian and saying, what is wrong with me? I've got like, uh, there's two of me. Somebody handed me a booklet. I recommend it. I don't know if it's still in print. It's called Two of Me. David Wilkerson wrote it, right? Oh, it just tells you, oh, that's why I'm not crazy. <laughs> I, you know, and there's a war going inside of you too. Nation, natures, right? And so God was using even the struggle in the womb as a picture of the Christian's heart. And who is Esau? Esau's the sinful nature. Because he wanted to be. God needed a guy. Who's going to represent the sinful nature? Esau's like me. <laughs> you know? Oh, believe me, that's how it goes, man. God doesn't force anybody into a bad role or destiny. God uses those who keep choosing. I want to be the bad guy. I want to be the bad guy. You sure? Please don't. You know, I died for you. Come on this way. No, I want to be the bad guy. Okay. I'll use the bad guy, you know. So he does. So that's not good. Galatians 5 says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. They are in conflict with each other so that you're not always able to carry out your good intentions. Can I just read a little bit from Romans 7? Paul the Apostle, talking about the, ooh, wow. 
He says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that God's works right and good. It's as if I'm no longer I that's doing it, but the sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This is what I keep on doing. Do you get it? (laughs) Anybody can relate to that? (laughs) Yeah, when I read that, I was like, phew, it's going to be okay. I'm not losing my mind. You know, I'm like, yes, no, yes, maybe, no, yes, no. Yeah, right. So Esau's the no thank you part. And so you know the story. Esau really is the personification of the flesh that can never please God. He's the caveman in everybody's heart, the beast that wants what it wants, when it wants it, by any means, and it doesn't matter what the cost. To anybody, mom, dad, husband, wife, kids, Jesus, doesn't matter. I want it, and I'll justify it. That's Esau, the spirit of Esau, the caveman within. Zero interest in in spiritual things, zero reverence for God, zero consideration of conscience, the word of God. It it just, there's no inspiration. So there are two terms, and and here's what he's saying to the Hebrews. Why why is he bringing this up to the struggling Hebrew Christians? Because when the heat gets turned up and you're feeling really resentment and you've got a lot to complain about, and they did. You're more inclined to just go with that beast thing. You're more inclined like, well, fine, you know? And you let it out. You let Esau come up, take control a little bit. And at the moment, it might feel a little good. But then we're going to see. So he's telling the Hebrews, I know you're under a lot of pressure, but don't act out. You got to control those impulses, man. Because you're holy. you got the Holy Spirit in you. You're going to be like an animal, like the world, out there, I'll make a desire. Right? You're going <laughs> to... That's what he does. Okay, there are two terms to describe this Esau and one incident. Let's look at the two terms. One, surprise, he's sexually immoral. Two consenting adults, okay? I've got a passion. I've got a desire. Nobody's hurting anybody. What's wrong if two people are in love? So what, they're Hittite women. Does it matter that my parents, it says his parents were grieved because of his sexual immorality? No matter. You know what? Because he's godless. It's a good word. He's godless. Who cares? That's biology. Here's what Jesus said about human sexuality. He said, at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. For this reason that he made them male and female, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Any sexual intimacy outside of God's design for sex that he created is called, in the old term, Fornication, which is the word used there in the Greek, pornos, where we get the the nasty English word, right? So what the nasty English word means, just it's named sexual sin. 
So if you're involved in pornos, the Greek term is sexual sin. That's what it is. You know, I, I, by the grace of God, got into a conversation with a coffee barista. I don't know how it happens about the things of God. And, and he ended up, because I worked right by that coffee shop, uh, I got to lead him to the Lord. Awesome. I gave him a Bible. He brought it home, and then I got an invite. He said, my wife wants to meet you. We want to have dinner at our house. Come on over. So I went over there. And one of the first things his wife said was, wow, I've been reading the Bible that you gave my husband. Wow, I feel sorry for my husband. (laughs) She said, well, the first thing I read, I just opened up. It fell to, I think it's called Matthew. I said, yeah. And he said, And she said, Jesus said, if a man looks at a woman and just lusts after her, he's committed adultery. (laughs) Wow. I said, yeah, I know. Pray for your husband. Managing because you're holy. And by the way, the word profane and, and unholy just means not connected to God. Right? But because you're connected to God, you're not profane like the rest of the world who, who, who does pornos all the time because there's no God. They're Godless. They're not connected to God. There's no fear of God. There's no desire. There's no grieving in there. There's nothing. I'm free to do whatever I want because I'm not connected to God. That's the word profane. And that's the second word, Godless, there. I've always pictured when you say someone's profane, I just picture someone really corrupt and nasty and evil. All the, the English word for that godless profane, it means outside of the temple. It just means just a natural man, natural woman with no divine spark of inspiration, just like an animal. You know what... Um, I mean, we just can't let that go on. You know, let me, let me get to the birthright. The birthright is important to understand because there are two things involved here. Don't miss it. It's birthright and blessing. They're two different things, all right? The birthright was kind of like giving pastoral leadership to, especially during the patriarchs, to pass on the faith that Abraham was given and those before him. That Messiah was coming, and the birthright was to keep everybody shepherded in the faith, to steward financial things and land things and legal things. But most of all, they were like the family pastor. All right? He despised that. He didn't want to do that. He had no regard for God. So why would I want to be the family pastor? Right? So... Uh, this is what it means. So here, here's the incident. It starts in Genesis 25. You know the incident. Esau comes in. He's a hunter. He comes in. He, he couldn't catch anything that day. Nothing. Apparently, the dude didn't have breakfast or lunch. He had, nobody packed him a lunch, right? Because he's hungry. Up and down all those hills all day long into sunset, supper time. He smells the stew on the fire when he's approaching the tent. He's a man, and he's hungry. And he gets in there just as Jacob is uh, preparing to sit down to his red in color lentil savory stew. 
And so here's how it goes. He comes in, Esau, and he says, me hungry. <laughs> me very hungry. Give bowl. No need spoon. <laughs> so Jacob says, bro, you know, I've been thinking, you know, I don't think you, I think you're the wrong guy to pastor our family. I don't think you even want to be that guy, right? So I was thinking, hey, you really want my stew? Why don't I sell it to you for something you don't want to do anyway? What do you think? You know, I'd, I'd like the birthright. So here's how he reacts. Uh, he says, well, I'm about to die. So what good is a birthright when I'm dead, right? He, he's a little over-exaggerating, right? Because uh, me hungry, me so hungry, me die, you know? So, so okay. <laughs> I don't know where this is all coming from, to be honest with you. It's certainly not in my notes, but it's happening. So, so Jacob says, oh, really? So you want to get out of this little birthright thing? And, and he says, yeah. He says, Jacob says, swear to God. And he goes, well, have you read the verse? I'm godless, so <laughs> godless. So that doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah, so he says, I swear to God. <clears throat> you know, whatever. <laughs> so, well, he starts digging in. The position didn't appeal to him. He despised that. The oath didn't matter because he was godless. So he chomped it down. Like, have you ever seen like a hungry, hungry dog that eats the food without chewing? You know? And then, you know, he pushes away. You know, he wipes his mouth on his sleeve. You know, belches and leaves. Says, me happy. You know? Walks away until, well, one writer said this about this event. He said, for a small immediate gain, he bartered away what was infinitely greater. Let me say this again, because all Esau and all Esauettes do this. All right, listen. For a, for a, <laughs> we have a lot of pregnant ladies here. I'm just throwing out names for future babies, which you probably wouldn't want to call her Esauette. No. All right, moving on. Here's what he said. Listen to it, because it's important. For a small, immediate gain, he bartered away what was infinitely greater. If we could, if we could get into Hades right now, where there are souls who have perished waiting for the great white throne and hell, it's not happened yet. But Hades is a very miserable place. And they've been there a long time, some of them. If we could just let them out and just file them up and say, hey, you got two minutes. Just, I just want to use you as a sermon illustration. I just want to ask you the question. What was it that was so important to you that you said no to eternal life in Jesus Christ? What? Just tell us in just a few short words. Pass the mic down. And, and, and you get one guy. Well, they're they're going to be honest. I like the ladies. Okay, so that was your thing for passing up on eternal life and entering eternal condemnation because you like the ladies. And, and you know, we, we, we got the, you know the ones, you know. It was the money. The biggest one, number one, we'll say. The number one reason, I didn't want to be told what to do. I wanted to live my life the way I wanted to, and that's what cost me my soul. Jesus asked this question, what do you think a guy would pay to get out of hell? 
It's exactly what he says. What would you pay to get out of hell? The answer, anything, right? But why would Esau, for what? For a bowl of, it's called red. He asked for, he just says, give me the red. It's red, right? So in the Hebrew, it just says, give me the red. He wants the red, Adam in Hebrew. Give me the Adam. So anyone who followed him, they're called Adam, Adamites, Edomites, right? Don't be an Edomite. You trade it all for a yummy stew or a yummy fling or a yummy find or a yummy whatever. You fill in your own yummy blank. I'll tell you what, that's why I am standing here before you. At 19 years old, I started to think there's a God. Oh, the way I'm seeing things, my father's testimony. I start getting convinced I'm on a bad road, but I didn't care. Because there are things 19-year-olds like to do that there's no way I'm parting with, right? So one day I got a vision of hell. A real vision I couldn't even tell was I there or not. I said, nothing is worth going there. Line up all my idols at 19. Not one of them said, oh, I'm worth it. Oh, no, 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 no. That's what pushed me into eternal life. That's not worth perishing over, right? And that's what, it, and then, then I got the change and then I understood, oh, I didn't even like those things anyway, right? So it's important. Listen, tame that beast. Genesis chapter four, God speaks to, I, I use this all the time, to Cain, right? He says, Cain, you're looking kind of downcast. What's wrong with you? Do the right thing, man. He says, sin is crouching like a beast in your heart. It wants to master you you got to master it. Oh, there was this flood in uh, Georgia, the, the, the country of Georgia. And the zoo got flooded. And the wild beasts got out. And I just heard about this. The, a tiger killed a guy. Just mauled him to death. You can't let the beasts out. Hebrew Christians, you don't let Esau the the helm. One swerve, man. And he says, you can cry all you want, but you're not going to get back some things. That's what he says. Though he wanted the blessing, Esau's crying not because he wants to be family pastor and get right with God. He's crying because the funds are now going to brother. (laughs) And the consequences of his dumb actions are now smiting his soul with tears. I want the blessing. You can't have the blessing. You actually don't want the birthright. You despise the birthright so you can't have the blessing. You can't let that beast take charge of your marriage. You're going to get a divorce. And your kids are going to be visiting you on weekends. Oh, that's your problem. That's what Esau and Esau had to say. That's your problem. This person really loves me, really appreciates me. It's all a bunch of lies. We're in the last days, man. You can't let that beast out. That beast gets out, man. You're in trouble. So you got three things to do. And you're, you're thinking, man, I can't do any of this stuff. I mean, I've got to flip the tank from the, 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 <laughs> from the get-go. He says, work at getting along with everybody, including the difficult ones. Guard your inner life from bitterness. (laughs) Don't give 
into the sinful nature or you'll live to regret it and some things you can't fix. How am I going to do it? He says, the grace of God, don't miss the grace of God. The grace of God will, will enable all three areas to go over. All pins will go flying. You, you'll do it, all three areas, by the grace of God. Get a picture for you. The grace of God. Think about the difficult people you got to deal with. Think about all the grudges that you're holding, your negativities, your bitterness. Think about Esau and Esau Ad and that animal nature within, that animal nature that wants to take charge. The pornos. Don't miss the grace of God. That is God in a human body dying for your sin, letting your wretched sins go. Not some of them, all of them, past, present, and the ones you will commit all gone. All your quirks, all your obnoxiousness, everything about you, pay for. There is a great illustration. I hope you didn't miss it. In Exodus. In Exodus 15. The Israelites are out wandering. They've been three days without water. They're thirsting. They get to a pool of water, a spring in the wilderness and it's bitter. They named it Mara in Hebrew, bitter. The Lord, uh, Moses goes to the Lord, what, what can I do here? And the Lord shows Moses a tree. But the word in Hebrew is not really show. It's to teach or to instruct. So the Lord teaches him a tree, teaches him about a tree. Right? A piece of wood. And Moses then takes the wood after being taught about this wood and throws the wood into the bitter waters and, quote, the bitter waters become sweet and drinkable. Oh, the cross is called the tree. And Acts, the preachers would say, Jesus was killed they hung him on a tree. It's the same word as Moses and God talking about the tree. One piece of this wood with the, stained with the blood of God for your sins, applied to your whatever situation with a hard person, your bitterness, your struggles, your loss. That animal inside that just says, it's all about me. Oh, the answer, the grace of God was most demonstrated in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
let the grace of God show you. Sweeten that heart. Let, let it go. Move forward. Get over it. Rise above by the grace of God and what he did for you. He lives inside of you. <laughs> How could you not be happy? Go Look what he did for me. I'm going to let everybody off. Ebenezer Scrooge, after he finds out he grazed the bullet, you know, he wakes up. What? What? I'm not dead. I'm not going to hell. What does he do? He starts reaching into his pockets, pulling out gold pieces, opening up the windows and throwing gold out on Christmas morning. Merry Christmas. You know, I've been let off the hook. I could be in hell right now. Ebenezer Scrooge didn't miss the grace of God, but let the grace of God motivate him to be a new, loving, rise above. There's nothing to get done in that guy's way afterwards. Because he'd been shown the greatest of all love and mercy. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we, we get it in the moment. Oh, it's so hard to remember this. On Tuesday afternoon or Friday evening, or when our buttons are being pushed, oh, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, just... Help us to see the, the, the lever for the second tank and to turn it on and to let your love and your grace carry us through so that we can live holy lives for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we stand? We'll sing the closing song together. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m., and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.